Welcome to the Careers, Employability and Skills podcast from Queen's University, Belfast. This episode was recorded during an employer panel program featuring Jenny McCann from Chalkair, Adrian McCarthy from For Purpose, Sophie Hall from Civil Service Fastream, Orla McCabin from Orla McCabin PR and Communications, and is hosted by Rachel Corridan from the Queen's Careers, Employability and Skills Department. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our employer panel um, today. So we're, we're glad to have you here. So the, the first thing is, we have, my name is Rachel Cardin, and I am the Employer Engagement Officer in Careers, Employability and Skills. We're delighted to have you here today. Um, we are joined by a number of interesting people um, who are waiting to take your questions and to um let you know their success stories um, throughout their careers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand it over to them to introduce themselves. Um, so panellists, when you introduce yourselves, can you tell our audience what you studied, your organisation and what your position is, please? Um, and so I'm going to maybe ask Jeannie McCann first. to Jeannie, if you don't mind turning on your camera and your audio and just introducing yourself. Hello everyone, my name is Jeannie McCann. I studied history and politics at Queen's and then a master's in journalism afterwards. And I am campaigns officer with Trocra in Northern Ireland. Great, thanks Jeannie. And then we've got Adrian. Yeah, hi folks, uh, my name is Adrian McCarthy. Um, I'm the manager of the Four Purpose Graduate Programme. Um, I studied drama and English for my undergraduate and I've just finished a part-time uh, master's in human resource management. Thanks, Adrian. That's great. And we have Sophie. Hi, my name is Sophie Hall. Uh, I studied politics and international relations at the University of Kent, and I am a second year fast streamer on the civil service uh, graduate scheme. Fast Thank you. And we have Orla. Hi, my name is Orla McKibben. I'm a communications and PR specialist. Um, I'm working for myself now and I studied journalism in Dublin. Great. Thanks, Orla. That's great. Thank you. Um, so um, thank you all for introducing yourselves. It's great to have you here today. Um, after our panellists speak, you will have the opportunity to ask them some interesting questions. So start to think about the questions as they do their presentations. Um, there, there will be a Q&A at the end of the session. And remember, the questions are private, so feel free to ask any question that, that you want. Um, can I also remind you that this webinar is recorded and will be available on the Careers website, Careers Employability and Skills website, um, after the webinar is completed. So let's get started today. So the reason you've joined us here today is to understand a successful career path in the public charities and NGO sector and also the communication sector. Um, how, do, how, how, do you, how do you have a successful career in those sectors? What skills and experience do you need um, to, join those, to join those sectors? And what are the opportunities? How do you build up your portfolio? Um, developing careers in these sectors can be different from maybe, maybe you know, if you're going into something, going into maybe accountancy or something. Um, it's not always the traditional pathway maybe not from a placement to a graduate role, but, but rather building up a, a portfolio of, of different um, jobs and, and volunteering opportunities. So I'm going to invite um, Jeannie McCann from Trocra to speak. She is going to speak about her own career journey um, from being with Habitat, where I know Jeannie, 
right through until Trokra. So thanks so much, Jeannie. Thank you, Rachel. Um, and hello, everyone. Very pleased to speak to you all today. Um, so we'll just start with the first slide. Uh, Rachel, it just doesn't seem to be moving on in the slides, but perhaps I'll just start to talk and then we can see if we can get that sort of out. Um, so very pleased to speak to everyone today. I'm going to share a little bit about how I got involved in Ingle Development. Um, so the specifics about my job now, so you get a sense of, of what I do day to day. A few tips and suggestions for you to get involved in this area and a few opportunities as well at Trogra that you may be interested in. Uh, so just to start off with myself, I've always been very passionate about global justice and doing my bit to work for a better world. And I studied, as I mentioned earlier, history and politics at Queen's. And then afterwards, I went and worked in Zambia um, for a while with a local organization working with rural communities on water and sanitation projects. And I suppose the key takeaway that I took away from that experience was the courage and the perseverance of communities on the front line of how they overcome obstacles every day to provide for their children. And that's something that stayed with me um, throughout the time since. And whenever I was in Zambia, I was writing for local newspapers back home. Um, and so whenever I came back to Ireland, I started a master's in journalism in DCU in Dublin. And then from there, I started to work as a freelance researcher in News Talk Radio. Um, and I suppose that was a very solid experience of working in a fast-paced newsroom and understanding the news cycle. But back then, it was 2010, it was the, the last recession or the last economic crisis, and there wasn't a lot of jobs going on. Um, and so I noticed an, an opportunity with Habitat for Humanity as communications intern, and I applied for it. Um, and that's where the story begins now um, of how I got to do my current role. Um, and and so I worked with uh, Habitat for almost eight years in, in various different roles in communications and fundraising and grant management and in volunteer management as well. Um, and I suppose the internship was really key in helping me to get a foot in the door to understand how international development organizations work and um, to get some really solid experience and to develop the skills that I could use in future job applications. And so um, just over three years ago, I joined Trokra as their campaigns officer in Northern Ireland. And you may or may not know what Trokra is. Most people know us for our Trokra boxes and our fundraising campaigns, which of course are crucial for our work to continue every day. Um, but most people don't realize that Trokra has a dual mandate. And so that's to support people in the developing world, but also to raise awareness of poverty and global injustice in Ireland as well. And I suppose tackling the root causes of poverty um, is really key to our work. It's not just about treating the symptoms. And that's key to our advocacy work and the work that I do. So I mostly work on a business and human rights campaign. And that campaign is a response to what we're hearing from the communities where we work, where there are increasing concerns about the human rights abuses uh, by some cooperations on indigenous communities. So things like forced evictions, pollution of rivers and land, the destruction of livelihoods. And there's also growing 
concerns about the treatment of human rights defenders. You're facing beatings, intimidation, imprisonment, and even murder for speaking out and defending Indigenous communities' rights to their lands and to their human rights. And so our campaign calls for regulation to hold these companies to account for these violations. Um, and so in, in a very practical way, uh, my job day to day um, is about engaging the public in the campaign um, in Northern Ireland. So I'm using all of my communication skills um, in, in that. So things like holding um, short film screenings about our, doc um, our documentary, Women in Their Place, explains human rights defenders and women in Honduras and the work in this area. We also have photographic exhibitions. It's going out to communities and explaining complex issues in a very accessible way and getting them involved in the campaign. Digital engagement is also a growing area of the campaign. Um, so, for example, of course, in these COVID times, we're learning about webinars. But even before that, the effective use of social media in the campaign and e-actions and targeting our politicians online um, through e-actions and on social media are all ways that we um, use in the campaign as well. And then, of course, we have our events. So often, whenever it's safe to do so, we have human rights defenders that come to Dublin and Belfast and Derry to share their stories of um, resilience and courage with people in, in Northern Ireland and to get them involved in the campaign. And we also then meet with our politicians and bring the human rights defenders to meet with their politicians to encourage action in this area. And so building relationships is really key in all of that. And, then, and lastly, key to all of this is our network of campaigners and volunteers who are our, our voices in local communities. Um, and so volunteer management is a key area that um, I need to use in that regard. I suppose that brings us on to some of the opportunities that you can get involved with TROCRA in this area. So first of all, I know that I have some colleagues who are speaking to the history, anthropology, politics and philosophy school around an internship and also the School of Biomedical Sciences. So these two internships will be in semester two and they'll be very much hands-on experiences through our Northern Ireland office um, to help with our Lent um, fundraising campaign and volunteer management um, next in the spring of this year. So the, uh, if you're interested in that, please get in touch for more information. Um, secondly, our volunteer opportunities. So um, we know it's difficult now to get out and invite and speak to communities, but we are still engaging our volunteers and hopefully in the not too distant future, we'll, we'll be back out and invite again. So it's a, we, we provide full training and support it's an opportunity to give what time you have um, uh, so that you can support our fundraising, our education programmes and skills and also our campaigning work. So it's very much hands-on and there's full training um, involved so that you learn much more about international development and the issues that we're working on as well. And then lastly, the Sally O'Neill Leadership Programme. Sally O'Neill worked with Trocra for 40 years and she was originally from Dungannon in County Tyrone and she died tragically last year in Guatemala program um, uh, for recent master's graduates who are interested in international development and or humanitarian work um, and the program will run again 
next year in the autumn of 2021. So it runs for 30 months. So there's a current cohort of people who are engaged in that. And so around this time next year, there's hopes that the next cohort would, would start, or the recruitment for them would start. So if you're interested in that, keep an eye out on our social media for updates. And so then just to finish, um, to pull together a few points, a few tips for anyone who wants to get involved in this area. So first of all, um, a passion for, for global justice and for trying to make the world a better place is key that will be able to, to drive you forward in this area. Secondly, um, getting experience volunteering is really key. Um, it shows evidence of your commitment to human rights and to justice. Um, and you can do that at home. It's not necessarily about going overseas. But if going overseas is something that you would like to do, then, of course, that's something that I did. Um, you need to research the opportunity very carefully and ensure that it's not about volunteerism, that it's based on responsible volunteering, that the placement is based in a local community and, and it's about partnership with the local community and it's based on good development practice as well. So doing your research into these opportunities is really key. Third, um, for entry-level entry um, positions, a master's is increasingly needed um, in an area that you want to work in, so international development or human rights um, or international relations are all very relevant. Um, and also, in general, keep up to date with what's going on in the sector, so things like BOND, which is the UK network of international development organisations, their website has really valuable insights into the key trends that are emerging, but NGOs need to be aware of and the key debates that are within the sector. And then lastly, um, using opportunities to upskill. So, for example, in photography or in video editing, increasingly in our campaigns, but also in our fundraising and in, in our international um, institutional fundraising as well, we're increasingly having to use creative means to engage people and funders and to influence for change. And so having skills in this area will always be a great help. So I look forward to your questions afterwards. Janie, thank you very much. Thank you for sharing um, your story. Um, it's good, firstly, to hear about the opportunities that are available with yourselves. I think that's something that's very important. But it definitely seems, just even from knowing you, that your true calling has been in the, the charities NGO sector and that you're you're very committed to it. So thanks very much, Janie, for, for sharing that with us. Um, I'm going to ask Adrian to come ahead and, and do his presentation. Um, Adrian works for, for For Purpose. Jean, if you wouldn't mind just turning off your mic there. Um, Adrian obviously works for For Purpose and he can give you a bit more information about some of the opportunities, his own background first, but some of the opportunities that are available through that graduate programme. Um, so over to you, Adrian. Thanks so much. Thanks, Gillian, Rachel. Um, so hi, everybody. I'm really uh, delighted to join you here today to talk a bit about For Purpose um, and what we do and how you can kind of get involved with us. Um, so, yeah, so I'm just going to move through there. Um, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about my own background to begin with um, and then a small bit about uh, kind of the not-for-profit sector, um, the scale of it and things like that. Um, then just a bit about the For Purpose programme and then some hints and tips if you're looking at a job in the charity and NGO sector. Um, so I suppose firstly, just kind of um, to introduce myself a bit more. Um, so I'm a graduate uh, of a BA in Drama and English from University College Cork. Um, and then I just finished a part-time MA in Human Resource Management um, from the National College of Ireland. So I know um, a lot of the people on this call today are kind of studying a mix of degrees. Um, some people are doing arts and kind of various things like that. 
Um, so I suppose my undergraduate degree in particular would be kind of related to that. Um, and I guess when I finished uh, my undergrad in drama and English, I kind of wasn't too sure um, exactly what route I wanted to go down. But I did know from going to various kind of careers fairs and things like that, um, that, you know, the kind of things that were on offer in terms of, um, you know, kind of a lot of private sector stuff. Um, the big accounting firms were always really prevalent at that. I kind of had a sense um, that that kind of stuff really wasn't maybe for me and that just wasn't, um, you know, kind of within my area of interest. So I began working then. I guess I was fortunate um, that I spotted uh, an advert for the company that I now work for. Um, and it was basically, you know, kind of working with a wide range of different uh, not-for-profit organizations. Um, and I began working in that role uh, back in 2016. Um, so since that time, I've worked with a really kind of large amount of charities uh, on the graduate program. So, for example, I've worked with organizations like Sightsavers, uh, ActionAid, Social Entrepreneurs Ireland, uh, the Simon community and much more beyond that as well. Um, and I suppose over the years, my role has kind of evolved uh, with the company and I'm now managing uh, the four purpose graduate programs. So that's just a little bit about uh, my own uh, background. Um, so I just wanted to speak a little bit about the not-for-profit sector because um, I think sometimes maybe it's not fully kind of understood kind of um, how large the sector actually is. So I've just looked here at some stats where I've kind of combined uh, both North and South of Ireland. Um, so you can see there, there's 35,422 not not-for-profit organisations across the island of Ireland. And about 6.46% of charities registered in Northern Ireland are also operating in the Republic. So across the whole island as well, you have 216,620 people are employed in the not-for-profit sector. So it really is kind of quite um, quite a large sector um, and quite substantial across the island. And then just kind of looking at Northern Ireland, uh, the not-for-profit sector in the north has a total income of £729 million. Uh, pounds. So I suppose that's just to kind of preface that, you know, um, I think sometimes people can kind of maybe underestimate the scale of the sector a small bit. Um, so this is quite a large sector. And you might be wondering, you know, what is it comprised of? Where do you, where do you, um, you know, kind of all these organisations come from? So you can see there, there's an awful lot of subsectors uh, that are within the not-for-profit sector. So, you know, say, for example, in the international sector, you have organisations like Troker, for example. Um, and then, you know, it's also kind of spanning across, you know, arts and culture organisations, theatres, galleries, museums. Uh, a lot of social housing providers would fall under the development and housing sector. Uh, social services, homelessness organisations, uh, health, even hospitals um, and even universities are largely not for profits as well. So it's a really kind of diverse, um, broad sector with a number of parts to it. So that's just kind of where, you know, those numbers in terms of the organisations uh, and the employment levels uh, are kind of coming from. Um, so just to speak a little bit about for purpose and kind of what we do. So essentially with For Purpose, we work with uh, a range of different not-for-profit organizations um, in providing a graduate program for them. And essentially kind of how it works is that we manage the recruitment process for them and we match graduates with those organizations. And then every graduate who's undertaking uh, the program with us uh, goes through a mentoring process uh, for their duration of their traineeship. So every traineeship is typically about 12 months in length. Um, and every graduate has a four-purpose mentor who they meet with on a one-to-one -one basis each month. Um, then we also organize a range of learning seminars throughout the year. So these are hosted by 
um, pretty experienced um, speakers from across the not-for-profit sector uh, who cover a range of topics like communications, career planning, uh, for example, are some of the sessions we've had this year. Um, and all the graduates across the programme and across different organisations um, would kind of come together at these sessions. Obviously, these are all taking place uh, virtually at the moment, given the situation with COVID. And then finally, as well, something that we have in the programme for some graduates that we're hoping to kind of roll out more broadly across the programme next year is uh, facilitated training, which is basically um, undertaking a range of training modules uh, on different things, ranging from communication skills to presentation skills, um, time management, and then other kind of uh, specific not-for-profit sector modules as well. So that's just a bit about um, the For Purpose programme and kind of what's involved from a graduate's perspective. Um, small but there just around our track record. So we've had about 63 grads on the programme since 2012. Um, at the end of the 12 months, uh, we have a pretty good conversion rate uh, in terms of graduates who are offered a role at the end of that. So it's about 95%, so it's quite high. So there is a prospect there beyond the 12-month traineeship. Um, since October 2018, we've had 23 grads on the programme. Um, and it's about a five-week process on average, say, from, you know, we kind of run campaigns for graduates all year round. And typically from when a campaign and advert is live, uh, it's about a five-week process from when that goes live up to um, the uh, graduate's acceptance of the offer on the programme. And you can just see there the total number of applications we had uh, on the programme from graduates in 2019. Um, so that's just, I suppose, the next slide here to give you a bit of a sense of some of the types of organisations we work with. So you can see there, there's organisations from across uh, the NGO sector. Um, so you can see we've worked with quite a lot of approved housing bodies, um, we've also worked with various social services organisations like Focus Ireland. Um, there's a few organisations there from the international sector, such as Sightsavers and ActionAid. Um, and then a few others as well, like the Free Legal Advice Centre, uh, FLAC and a couple of health organisations. So these are the kind of types of organisations where we've had graduates. And the graduates on our programme would really be in areas kind of ranging from, you know, we have people in communications, uh, fundraising, um, we have people in programme support, programme development, um, in social housing, we have people in housing officers, um, and then also property surveyors. And then we have graduates, uh, we have a few in finance as well. So the types of graduates that we have are kind of spanning across um, a fairly kind of broad array of areas. Um, so I just wanted to then talk, I suppose, about some hints and tips if you are considering uh, a graduate role in the not-for-profit sector. Some things you can do um, to kind of help with your uh, application and search for a role. So one thing that I'd re recommend to any uh, student who's considering a career in the not-for-profit sector is to try and get involved with something outside your coursework. So obviously your degree and your academic work are obviously the most important thing of what you're doing. Um, however, it does really stand to people in the interview and application process if they've been involved with something else uh, outside of their degree. So that can be anything from being a part of a college society or a club, being on the committee of that, um, even to volunteering in your own time. So I know Jeannie uh, in her presentation there was talking about different uh, opportunities with Trocra. So say, for example, you know, even volunteering with an organisation uh, like Trocra or other NGOs, um, or an internship is fantastic if you can get one. But uh, if you if you can't do that, and I think sometimes, um, you know, in the interview process, people can underestimate some of the other experiences they've had, you know, even being able to talk about part-time work. If you've been working in, you know, a cafe or a shop or anything like that, um, put that down on your CV when you're applying for a graduate role. 
because all of that experience will help the person who's looking at it to kind of see, okay, so they've done this and this in addition to their coursework. And it also gives you an opportunity, you know, to talk in the interview process about simple things when you're asked about time management um, and about kind of relationship management skills, those kind of things. Um, you know, whether it's voluntary experience or part-time work, even that can already stand to you. Um, so the other thing then, is, I suppose, is to kind of do your research when you're applying. Um, look at the various sectors that are of interest to you. So you'll recall there I've outlined, you know, different subsectors within the NGO sector. So to maybe look at, you know, which of those sectors are really of interest to you. If you're doing a broad degree, you know, if you're doing something like an arts degree to kind of think about um, what career paths might be of interest. Um, and then also, you know, to have a look at maybe different programmes within the NGO sector that are of interest as well. Um, and you'll see there I've highlighted talk to people. So it can be, you know, I suppose a little bit daunting when you're kind of looking uh, at a graduate role or when you're searching for one. So, you know, make sure to, um, you know, avail of speaking to your careers advisors, um, speaking to your friends, your family members. Often, if you're just able to kind of verbalise what you're thinking, um, that can kind of help you to kind of put things into perspective as well. Um, and something else I'd recommend is setting up a LinkedIn profile, start connecting with people from sectors and organizations that are of interest to you. Um, you know, if you reach out to people on LinkedIn, generally most people are happy to connect and even respond to a message. And in some cases, you know, they might even, you know, if you ask them if you could have 10 minutes of their time to have a coffee and um, to talk about, you know, um, your kind of uh, career interests and get advice from them. Um, not everyone might respond to that, but some people might. Um, and then I suppose when you are kind of getting around to applying for stuff, um, you know, do try and get someone else to look at your application and CV. That's really oftentimes the first hurdle where people fall down uh, is at that stage with their CV and cover letter. And it's often for really kind of small things where they've, you know, kind of done, um, you know, they have a few things out of place or whatever. Um, so just get people to look, have a look over that to make sure that you're on the right track. Be prepared for your interviews So research the organisation the role and have examples to draw from. You're always going to be asked about your soft skills. And for example, those are communication, time management, presentation ability, those kind of areas. So just think of examples of those. And then finally, you know, it can be tough as well when you're coming out of college looking for your first role, especially if you're going down maybe a little bit more of an unconventional path. But, you know, take a deep breath, stay hopeful and keep going. You will get there in the end. Um, so it's just kind of worth bearing that in mind as well when you're when you're looking for something. Um, so, yeah, there's various ways then just to keep in touch with us on the For Purpose site. There's our various socials there between LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and also our website if you'd like to have a look at that. Um, and those are just my contact details. Um, if anyone would like to reach out to me uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn, do feel free to do that as well. So uh, that's myself, and I'm going to hand back to Rachel now. Adrian, thank you very much. That That's great. Thank you for sharing that information. Um, it's, again, it's good to see that the opportunities are there in the not-for-profit sector and some of the hints and tips that you've given today um, to how, how to move into that sector. So thank, so thank you very much. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn off your camera, if that's okay, and your, and your audio, please. That's great. Um, so we're going to move in. Now, we're going to move to Sophie. Sophie is obviously in the in the works purely in the in the public sector. I'd say Sophie. So um, um, go ahead, take take it away, as they say. <laughs> Thanks. Um, it's not actually strictly true because um, that's one of the wonders of the fast stream at the moment. I'm on a six month secondment to a nonprofit, uh, not dissimilarly named either. It's called On Purpose. So very similar. But um, so in terms of my background, I went to the University of Kent. I studied uh, politics and international relations. 
which is also where I heard about the fast stream. Um, so the fast stream is a civil service graduate scheme. Um, for those of you who aren't certain about what the civil service really is, it's a non-political body that helps the government of the day to develop and deliver its policies. So the civil service is apolitical, it stays the same, the government comes and goes, uh, but the civil service stays there to help the government to deliver their policies in the way that is best for the people. There are 25 ministerial departments and 20 non-ministerial departments. Uh, and then onto the fast stream. So the fast stream is a leadership program in government for talented people. So it's a three to four year leadership development program. And that really depends on what scheme you're on. Uh, I personally am on the generalist scheme. So my program is three years long. I've done one year. I'm now in my second year. Um, it's, it's a preparation for senior leadership roles. So it's a fast track to uh, a more senior position. So you enter at uh, an HEO level, so higher executive officer, and then uh, that's where you stay in your first year. In the second year, you then go up a band, uh, and then in your final year, you move into a grade seven. So it's a, it's a fast track leadership program. Um, there's a blend of structured and on the job learning. So a lot of what you learn will just be from your day-to-day -day job and your experiences. Uh, but there's also a structured learning program, which also depends on what scheme you're on, because there are some specialist schemes, which I'll, I'll go on to later. Um, and then there's also more general things. So things like uh, influencing or building business cases, um, how to make policy. Uh, there's also the civil service learning platform, which has a wealth of, uh, of sessions that you can do. Uh, for free um, or if it's paid you, you can get your department to pay for them um, when you uh, if you apply for the fast stream and you're not successful in the end there's also a near miss scheme so the direct appointment scheme which essentially is where you've you've really shown promise but uh, a lot of people applied and so the the success rate um, was different, but you'll you'll then instead of being on the scheme, you'll be you'll be offered a position. So sorry, next slide. Um, other key features: so you can apply for up to four different schemes, uh, which is actually recommended because uh, the different schemes have different grading, and so if you apply for multiple schemes, you uh, have a better opportunity of, of being successful. There's also no upper age limit. So you can actually, if you wanted to take a year out or several, or you're um, a mature student, it doesn't matter. You're uh, able to apply for it. Um, additionally, many of the schemes you can apply with a 2-2. Um, you also get real genuine responsibility from day one and the real opportunity to actually to work on things that matter. Um, and directly affect people's lives. So, for example, in my first year, I was working at the Department for Work and Pensions on universal credit, and specifically within that, um, domestic abuse policy. So I met with stakeholders, I met with domestic abuse organisations, um, and directly with them and uh, other government departments, we saw the domestic abuse bill pass through the House of Commons. 
So that involved briefing ministers, um, speaking to real people, finding out what changes you could possibly make to really support people. And that absolutely came to the fore during, uh, well, during the first lockdown where reports of domestic abuse um, absolutely went through the roof. And you then have the opportunity as a fast streamer to make real change. And so I launched a campaign to make sure that job centres could be seen as a safe space to get out the message that job centres were open and uh, people could go there if they if they were experiencing any kind of domestic abuse and that they could be set up financially um, within a few hours. Um, back to the slides. So most schemes start at £28,000 per year. So uh, again, that does depend on the scheme, but the, the majority of them start at 28,000. Uh, there's just been a change to the pay system as well. So uh, um, you'll get a rise after your first year. So you have your first year, small pay rise, second year. And then uh, when you graduate, you can expect it to uh, go up to 45 to 55,000, depending uh, on what job you choose afterwards. Uh, that's also one of the wonders of the civil service. As I said, 20 ministerial departments, no, 25 ministerial departments, 20 non-ministerial. You can work almost anywhere within the same job. You have the opportunity on the fast stream to try several different professions. You either have a year-long posting or a six-month posting, and you can go into policy or, as I'm doing now, you know, I spent the first... Um, my first year working in policy. Uh, then I went in the last three months to work for one of the ministers in private office. And now I'm working for a nonprofit um, whose focus uh, is on an economy that works for all through developing leaders like a career transition uh, program. So 15 brilliant schemes. Um, these range from project delivery to statistics to the diplomatic service. Um, depending on what scheme you apply for and if you're successful, um, obviously if you go for the diplomatic service and you're successful there, you will be at the Foreign and Commonwealth. Uh, but the other schemes, you tend to move around departments. I'm not going to list the schemes here because it's quite long. But if you go to the uh, FastStream website, you can see all of the different schemes, uh, the length of them, uh, whether you need to have a specific degree. For, for most of them, you can have any degree. It doesn't matter. Um, and also some more detail on what those uh, what those schemes entail. But I guarantee that there's there's something you'll be interested in and also potentially something that you um hadn't thought of before. There's also the uh, Summer Diversity Internship Programme, which is, um, it's, so it's over the summer, it's designed to um, give you a taste of what it would be like. It's six to nine weeks, you do get a salary from it, 300 to 350 pounds. If you do the Summer Diversity Internship, you then, uh, if you then apply for the fast stream, you don't have to go through as many stages of the application process. You would go straight to the um, assessment centre. There's also the early diversity internship programme, which is just one week. Um, and again, an opportunity for people from 
um, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, BAME or disability. Uh, the summer diversity internship obviously comes under that same remit. In terms of application windows, so the fast stream application window and the summer diversity internship program window um, uh, have now closed for the for the um, for starting next year. That closed on the twenty second of October, but um, the applications will be open again next summer, and it gives you plenty of time to prepare and to think about. Um, what schemes you would like to apply to. Uh, the Early Diversity Internship Programme is currently still open. It closes tomorrow. Uh, so if you're interested in that, I would highly recommend um, applying for that today. <laughs> um, for the fast stream, for the application process, uh, the first stage is just registration and application. Then you have two sets of online tests which are things like situational awareness. So you'd have, um, you'd have a situation and then you have four options for how to respond. And it's essentially a behavioral uh, assessment. Then you have a video interview. Um, so you'll be asked about, um, the civil service works on strengths and behaviors. If you want more information on those, you can find those, there's, dictionaries of those online. So if you type in civil service strengths or civil service behaviours, it gives you detail on uh, what they're expecting to see from that behaviour or what they're expecting to see from that strength. Um, so a strength is supposed to be something uh, that you perform well at, that you do often uh, and that you enjoy. Uh, so you'll be expected to demonstrate some of those at a video interview. Um, then you'll have a fast stream assessment centre, which uh, this year will be um, online only. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> okay. Um, so just to wrap up, uh, as you can see on the page here, we've got the Facebook group. Uh, if you have any questions, we've got the whole team there. Um, please feel free to join it um, in case we run any other sessions as well on the um, assessment process or anything else, just head on over there and we'll be, we'll be happy to speak to you. You're on mute. Sorry, that's um, Sophie, thank you very much. Thank you for, for, for that presentation. Sorry for saying that there's no um, not-for-profit in, in the, in the um, civil service fast stream. So, so glad to say that you're six months out on that. So finally, we've got Orla. Orla's got a, a different, probably a different, bit of a different take on things. Orla is a communications professional. Um, who's Orla? You've gone from working with the public, private, NGO sector to starting your own company. So you've definitely got a, a different slant on things, working in a, in a variety of different sectors across the board. So I suppose, the, you know, to start off about your own, there's a lot of people watching today from creative industries, arts, English and languages. Um, you know, sport, I suppose, like I said, starting to start about um, what's your own career journey? Um, 
Well, I studied journalism um, in Dublin at the uh, Dublin Institute of Technology. It was the College of Commerce in Rep Mines. And at the stage I was going out, there wasn't the wealth of courses, which there are now. I mean, I'm quite envious when I look and see all the specialisms in media that are now available for people to study. At that stage, there was literally two in Dublin, if you were interested in it. There was the DIT course, which was took you straight after your leave insert, or there was the postgraduate course at DCU. Um, they took 20 people on the DIT course the year I went for it. Most people at that stage had parents who were either journalists or worked in RTE. Um, my dad was a builder. He was from the north. Um, and I just went in, and I suppose everything was against it. I was signed up to be an accountant on the Monday, which shows you how different life could have been. But I really wanted to do it, and I'd always written a lot of newspapers. So I got onto the course, which was superb. Um, and when I came out, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. So I freelanced. I took a job in the Irish press, as it was at that stage, taking death notices at night, anything to get into media. And I would say that to people now, even if it's not the job or specialism, if it's in the type of organization that you're looking to work in, take a job there, you know, and that gives you the opportunity to, to get in. Um, so I did that for a while. I um, freelanced for a lot of the magazines and newspapers in Dublin. I had a job editing a retirement magazine. I think I was 21 at that stage. And then the opportunity came for me to go to New York on one of the Donnelly visas they were given out. Um, and I got a job with Lifetime Television. Um, and when I went in there, I wanted to work in their newsroom or on their, you know, researching on the TV programs. Um, and they said, we're going to put you into public relations or public affairs, as they called it, until you get to know your way around New York a bit. Um, so they said, we'll put you in there for six months and then we'll move you. Um, and after six months, I didn't want to move. Um, they were streets ahead at that stage and where they were in, in kind of public relations and communications. And I just loved it. You know, so I spent several years there um, and really learned so much. Came back to, to Dublin where I worked with Cable Link or Virgin Media as it's now known for a number of years um, before I moved up to Belfast. And I took a job in a PR consultancy here. Um, two of them, I worked with GCAS and then I moved on to be a director with Anderson Kenny. And that was, I would say to anybody out there, it is hard work working in the consultancies. You will work across a variety of different clients and um, you'll work long hours, but you get fantastic experience. I mean, you would try everything. We had clients from Coca-Cola, Virgin Media or NTL, as it was then called, M&S, you know, to some government bodies or big initiatives, you know, which was the vision for Belfast we were working on. Um, and then a job came up in UTV. And I remember, because I've just been made a board director at Anderson Kenny, wasn't looking to move. And I thought, you know what, that job's not going to come up again for a long time. So I applied for it. I was very lucky that I was taken on. And I remember at my interview, um, and at that stage, UTV was just the little regional television station in Northern Ireland. It was a PLC, um, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't have the radio or other assets in it. Well, it went on to have. I remember the MD saying to me, you've moved around a lot, haven't you? Because I don't think I stayed anywhere longer than, you know, two years. Um, and I said, I get bored very easily, you know, and he said, I guarantee you'll never be bored here. Um, and I have to say he was right. I stayed 17 and a half years in UTV. If you'd asked me, I said, thought I would have stayed about five. But 
I love media. It has always been my passion. I'm working in-house in a media company um, that was expanding. We required talk sport, different radio stations, moved into digital. Um, I worked on the corporate PLC side on that sort of PR. I did publicity for TV programs, which is still love um you know put on very high profile events and um, when we had you know the queen visiting for our 40th anniversary i think it was at that stage or the launch of hd you know and there was things from like hiring yachts in monte carlo when we were bringing advertisers down so it was amazing and i was very lucky um, and i worked with an amazing group of people um, and constantly learned and tried new things when i was in the role um, when we launched the TV station in Dublin, um, you know, and the marketing and all that went with it, at that stage, I moved on kind of more into the management side, had a great team of people working with me, um, looked after the advertising and creative teams, and also then worked on business development. And I remember actually being a year in business development and saying, let me out of this, you know. And I remember my boss saying to me, but you're very good at it. And I said, but I hate it. You know, and I just missed being very hands-on on the comms side. I was still responsible for it, but I just didn't get to engage the way um, I had before. So when ITV bought UTV at that stage, um, I stayed for a year and a half. And um, I knew then, because the PLC side was gone, the radio had kind of switched off, it was going to go back being a TV station, a regional TV station, as opposed to independently owned. Um, and my year on ITV was amazing because, you know, they had an amazing internal communication system, um, which, you know, I got very hands-on experience. So everything was an opportunity, and I built brilliant relationships along the way. Um, but as I always said, I never really... I was never bored and I could see that it was coming, that when everything settled down, I was going back to doing maybe what I'd done, you know, 15, 20, you know, 17 years before. Um, so I decided the time was right to make a break. I'd never really wanted to go out on my own, um, but I thought, hey, I'll give it a go. I'll give it six months. I'll take it a bit easy. Um, hadn't had a break since college at that stage. Um, and as I told one of the guys from Sunday Times, when he rang me and said about something a week after I'd left, I said, no, I've left, you know, this is the first break I've had since we were at college. And he went, that wasn't yesterday, though, either, was it? Um, so about three months into it, and um, I started doing work for the Royal Television Society. They were doing the awards in Northern Ireland. Um, and then the Belfast Mellor, who I'd worked with and kind of sponsored when we were on UTV, asked me what I liked to kind of put in a tender for some of their communications. Um, and I just gradually started doing that. Um, and now all of my clients are in media, whether it's Waddell Media, who make amazing programs, um, such as Work on the Wild Side for Channel 4, a lot of programs for RTE with Francis Brennan, and a lot of programs for BBC Northern Ireland as well, the Getaways. Um, and you might have seen Tricked Out, uh, the, the kind of three-parter they did with Joel McGuinney. So, I'm back to doing what I loved and I'm back very hands-on. It's a very different skill base because it's me on my own. I don't have, you know, the team of people to call upon when my computer goes down or here, put that out in social for me. You know, I've really had to learn a lot of new skills and I've had to put myself out of my comfort zone um, in that I've had to go out and ask people for, you know, well, I could do that or, you know, kind of join organizations. I joined Women in Film and TV, um, which is a fantastic organization for women looking in the creative industries. Um, so I've been very lucky, you know, and, and like this week alone, I've got the Belfast Media Festival, which has a session with Kenneth Branagh um, that goes on their website tomorrow. 
um, because the virtual festival can't happen for two days. So if you're interested in the creative industries, sign on to the, the Belfast Media Festival website. That's two days that takes place every November and it has amazing skills, people from the industry, fantastic masterclasses. Um, then on Thursday night, tomorrow night, I'm looking after the Royal Television Programme Awards for Northern Ireland, which virtually we're doing a Paddy Keelty this year. So that will be recommending and rewarding all the programmes and programme makers in Northern Ireland, um, who've been so, so important, over, especially during lockdown. Um, and then my other hat on this month is that I'm also a digital producer for the BBC Academy Digital Cities Virtual. So that's on the 24th, 25th and 26th of November. And that is basically free um, masterclasses, free skills training, and they're by BBC Academy trainers. So they are superb. Um, so sign up to those. Um, when these things normally happen, these festivals, it's a great opportunity to network. Um, there's also brilliant organisations like the Royal Television Society in Northern Ireland. They've got a futures division, which is for students. Um, join that, take a role on the committee, because that will introduce you to people. This business is all about making contacts and networking. And it's hard to network at the moment, but it's not hard to reach out. You know, And if there's an area you're interested in, reach out to somebody or follow them on Twitter um, or LinkedIn. Um, you know, when it allows, ask them for a Zoom chat. You know, I'm surprised that more people don't do this because, you know, there's great opportunities there. People are usually quite happy to help out, especially if your passion is media, TV. Um, and like Northern Ireland, especially to a lot of the schemes Northern Ireland Screen are running, um, have endless opportunities. So I suppose in terms of top tips, I'd always say whatever you are doing, even if it is, you know, photocopying or whatever, do it well. You know, because every part of the chain is important when you're working in communications. Good attention to details, be honest, and also, you know, ask somebody for help. You know, that's if you don't know, don't kind of think, oh, I'm embarrassed about that. You say, do you know what? I don't know how to do that. You know, somebody would prefer you to do that up front. Um, but there's, it's an amazing time for the creative industries and jobs and communications and all storytellers out there. Um, so use all of them, you know, and that's what I'll say. Orla, um, thank you so much um, for sharing your story. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a different slant on things, I think, from, from the other speakers. So I'm going to just start the first question with yourself, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, the points that you raised there, obviously, you, you've got a very successful career coming from the public sector to the private sector to, to, to working across a variety of different sectors. Um, and you mentioned that networking is something that, that was crucial. How has What role did networking play in your career? Um, I think biggest part because it's a real people industry you know and you know you meet people and it's your opportunity to to engage with them so if you're going in and doing work placement you know don't be the shy person in the corner you know get stuck in ask them what they're doing make the most of it most people are really happy to tell you you know what they're doing there's nothing more uncomfortable than having somebody sitting quietly you know it's a bit unnerving you know so yeah and ask um can you get involved you know and and also i mean devour media you know we're living in a media rich time whether it's blogs start your own blog get your name known out there engage on social media and social media is wonderful in so many ways but there's also 
and to be very cautious of, you know. So learn about the regulations, learn the do's and don'ts. If you make a mistake, just put your hands up and say, you know, you did. We all do, you know. Um, yeah. I probably made several this morning. Um, but I would say in terms of networking, when you get the opportunity, go up and ask somebody how they got to what they're doing, you know. Um, there was a girl that was on a, a Name High programme that came with UTV. I wasn't even part of it, um, but I happened to be in the bathroom of all places. Um, and I said, oh, how's the course going? And she said, oh, I just found out I didn't make the shortlist, you know. And I said, oh, that's pretty. And she said, what do you do? You know, just started chatting to her. And she's going to come down and have a word with you. You know, she has... From that, a week later, somebody pulled out of our team. I was able to get her in. She's had an amazing career. And we keep in contact. But yeah. she always went up and said, can I have five minutes of your time? You know, yeah. if you don't Brilliant. have, you don't get. You're not in, you won't win. Brilliant. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask the rest of the panelists to turn on their cameras and their audio. And Orly, keep, keep yours on there as well. Okay. Um, and Jeannie and Anthony. Yeah, um, so I'm going to go back just a, a few points. We've got a few questions here, um, which I'm going to come to. But one of the points, um, just in terms of, I want to go back to the volunteer. And I think it was maybe um, Jeannie and Adrian, you'd mentioned that. How important is it to build up a portfolio of volunteer if you want to move into the charities and um, not-for-profit sector? I can just start. I think it's incredibly important. It's a very solid way of proving your commitment to the cause that you're working towards, which is so important whenever you're applying for jobs, that you can demonstrate your commitment and you can build up skills in that area. Okay. So it was crucial. I got a foot in the door in Habitat at the very start, and it's crucial for many others in, in Trocora as well. Okay, okay. And Adrian, do you have any hints or tips on that or any thoughts on yeah, it? Yeah, I, I do think, um, I, I'd agree with Jeannie in that it is quite important, I think, uh, if um, if students are considering a career in the not-for-profit sector. Um, and something that every uh, not-for-profit that I've worked with on the programme is uh, something they always look for is what's their interest in our organisation, but then what's uh, their interest in the sector more broadly because it is a bit of a different type of sector to work in and that it's very um, kind of purpose-driven maybe, if that's the best way to describe it. So if you're able to demonstrate that, you know, you have been volunteering, you have given a bit of your time um, for, and it can be in any type of organization that you're interested in and it doesn't need to be, you know, like 20 hours a week or whatever, because everyone has to do other things like college work, part-time jobs. But even, you know, if you're able to fit in uh, a few hours a week or a few hours a month even, that'll really stand to you if you're looking for a job in the charity sector. Okay, okay, that, that's great. And Sophie, we have a question for you. Um, one of the questions is, do you need to have a British passport if you apply for the civil service fast stream or how does that work? Um, so you just need to have the right to live and work. Right to live. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And the other question I wanted to ask him: um, We have a student here who's watching, and they are a video. They are currently at a vid, the video interview stage. Um, do you have any hints and tips of how to pass that and get through to the assessment centre as well as the assessment centre? Uh, so the video interview is just generally a bizarre experience because there is no one there on the other side. Um, it asks you a question and then it starts recording you. So I would absolutely say practice your responses in front of the camera. Um, try to not be surprised when it starts recording. Um, they are going to ask you, as I said, they're going to ask you questions on behaviours and strengths. 
So really read the strengths and uh, behaviors dictionaries. Um, and the question is usually reasonably broad. So for example, um, you know, sort of tell me something you're good at or something like that, quite vague. So you have, you have the uh, ability to sort of answer it in the way that you want. So I would say prepare a set of answers uh, that work for behaviors, that work for strengths, really familiarize yourself with them, uh, not to the point that they're obviously scripted, but um, have them really in your mind and also ready to sort of adapt to the question okay. that you might ask. Okay, okay, that, that's great. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, we don't have time for too many questions. Um, I, 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 wanna, I want to ask you one question towards the end. So I suppose the first thing I want to say is to thank you all for, for your time today, Jeannie, Adrian, Sophie and Orla. I really appreciate it um, on a Wednesday afternoon, on a rainy afternoon. So thanks very much and sharing your stories and experience with our students that are watching. Um, I want to just ask you, just in a, in a short sentence, if you if you don't mind, each if each of you is ending it off. Um, I'm going to go across my screen. So, Jeannie, I'm going to start with yourself. If you look back at yourself whenever you whenever you graduated, if you knew now, if you knew now what you know, what you could tell yourself then, what would you tell yourself? Uh, stick at it. Stick to your convic convictions and what you believe in, and just per persevere. It will, yeah, and to work hard, just keep working hard. Okay, okay. And Orla, you're next on my screen here. Um, I tend not to look back because I love what I do and I've always really enjoyed it. So I suppose I'd say enjoy it more, you know, and appreciate it because sometimes you're so hard working, you don't actually enjoy it. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, thank you. And Sophie, you're the next one on my screen. Um, well, it's not that long ago for me, but um, I would say, uh, yeah, have confidence in yourself and, um, you know, it's it doesn't matter that you don't know the answer. It just matters that you ask the questions. Okay. Okay. Great. And Adrian? Um, I should probably tell myself to take a deep breath. When I first started uh, in my first graduate role, um, I felt that I had to get everything right and that everything had to be perfect. Really, kind of up that kind of stuff. It's probably just saying, take deep breath. It's okay to make mistakes, and it's okay to ask for uh, guidance and advice as well. Okay, okay, that's great. Um, listen, thank you all again for joining us today. You have been listening to Find Your Future, a podcast from Careers, Employability, and Skills at Queen's University Belfast. For more career helps and advice, visit go.qb.ac.uk slash careers.